This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at MedEdMedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcode.com. Welcome back to the Short Code Podcast. I'm Dave Etler. It's Friday during the lunch hour as we record this. The weather is beautiful. We don't currently feel like we're being steamed or roasted. Birds are chirping, the sun is shining, and the weekend will begin officially in just a few hours. Life is good on the surface. Uh, but as we've dun, dis- dun, dun. but as we've discussed quite a few times <laughs> on the show, dig a little deeper and you'll find folks for whom a bad day is more than high humidity in an arduous work week. For many, a bad week includes fighting anxiety, depression, suicidal impulses, what medicine likes to call, I think somewhat euphemistically, mood disorders. <laughs> and, and some of those people are medical students and doctors. So with me today are Casey McCleary. Hi. Ipar Demir. Hello. And Innie Kim. Hi. They are mm-hmm. members. Oh, and Jason Lewis. <laughs> oh, and this other doesn't count. And, uh, a man I like to call Chop Liver. Jason Lewis is here uh, as well. And uh, I- uh, Casey, Ipar, and Innie are members and founding members of our National Alliance on Mental Illness Student Organization chapter i guess you could, we'll just throw all those words together <laughs> that they thing. that they started here at the carver college of medicine in the past year thanks for coming thank, thank you. you thanks for having us yes. uh so as i said some of your founders of this club why did you feel it was necessary to do this you could, well you're um, the brain child here <laughs> <laughs> uh well i myself um have struggled with depression for a really long time um, and it was something that, you know, I was taught, I'm from an Asian background, and mental illness is not something that even exists um, in my family's realm of knowledge. Mm. Um, and, you know, especially coming to medical school, um, it was always sort of, you know, you got to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. Um, if you're feeling this way, it's because you're weak. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of something I've been running from for my entire life. But the thing is, like any other illness that goes untreated, it gets worse. Um, so clearly medical school is not a... Um, you know, it's, it's a place that maybe you didn't start out having a mental illness, but it can certainly induce some mental illness. So, um, you know, coming in, not having treated my depression before and coming in to this high stress environment, uh, moving to a place where I didn't know anyone, clearly, um, you know, it was a, the perfect storm. Um, so I had my own journey. Um, there is no reason for anyone to have gone through all the things that I did. Um, it, the thing is, there's a lot of shame that's attached to mental illness right now, and it's really unfortunate because it prevents people from seeking help. Um, it, it, you know, it prevents them from getting the help that they need early because, I mean, and this is not to say anything about, you know, Carver College of Medicine. It, this is just, uh, it, this is general. This is nationwide. Even full-blown physicians um, still including residents, I believe, uh, three to 400 doctors. 400 about, 400, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. um, kill themselves every year in America. Yeah. Um, and that's a huge problem. It's a huge waste of talent, and it's a huge waste of life. And I think we can do better, and that's sort of part of why, uh, why we wanted to start this, to sort of decrease stigma and start a conversation and let people know they're not alone um, when they're suffering from some kind of 
mood disorder. <laughs> Euphemistically <laughs> uh, speaking, or, right? Or, or other mental illness. Right. And, you know, just like Casey said, um, part of the stigma um, in reducing it is going to help people from stop running away from the illness and actually empower them to take charge of that illness. Um, because running will get you so far, but it does catch up with you at a certain time. And unfortunately for people, maybe it's not in college, maybe it's not in medical school, maybe it's not in residency, but sometimes it, it happens um, way beyond that mm -hmm. after you've already established your career. And that's, that just sucks. That's, yeah. that's terrible. Yeah, and part of the problem with the stigma is even when people want to seek help, it's very, very difficult to um, within the system because if you are hospitalized or anything, um, in some places you have to report that you're getting treatment for a mental illness. Um, like, I think presumably you're not supposed to be fired for it, but it definitely counts against you. Um, I've even uh, had some conversations with people about like writing your residency applications with um, you know, people will use their stories of, of overcoming something like depression as a strength and like as part of their story. And then residency programs see that and it's actually a strike against them. Uh, red in a flag. Lot of cases. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a red flag uh, because this person obviously can't handle medicine, which is awful and, and just makes people feel worse. Like it just makes the mental illness worse. And I mean, t to say that, you know, you know, medical students, residents, and doctors should, oh, you know, quote unquote, be able to put themselves together and not be in that position. That's just ridiculous, considering that 50% of all Americans at some point in their life um, go through some kind of uh, mental illness or have symptoms of mental illness. So if you're saying that, you know, in within our um, our population that, um, you know, none of us go through that, that, that doesn't make any sense, mathematically speaking. Yeah, as long as you're capable of treating your patients, um then it shouldn't be a strike against you. And just like any other illness, um, you know, if you have to take some time off and then come back, to me, that still shouldn't be a strike against you. Like if you have to take time off, there was a person in one of our, cl in, in my class that we actually did an interview with like several months ago, maybe maybe over a year ago for sure, um, that had a, had a brain tumor um, in medical school, just sort of out of the blue, you know, and nobody faulted him for taking a year yeah, Frank, off. <laughs> Frank Kennedy. Is, yeah. Is, is, you should listen to that interview. He's a cool guy. Yeah. He's, he, he, uh, was very interesting to talk to. He's back to school now, everybody. That's, that's awesome. Your, that's your update because he's a <laughs> badass, but, um, and I think part yeah. of like the, so NAMI in particular, this chapter is very focused on like recognition of mental illness, mm -hmm. um, and destigmatization of mental illness within the healthcare profession. Um, but beyond that, I think a lot of mental health care recognition in society goes from recognizing that, like, we're humans, you know, and these are mm -hmm. all issues that we all deal with. So why is it that healthcare professionals should be different than any other human mm -hmm. that, you know, we would compassionately treat um, and help and understand why is it that we can't do that with ourselves and absolutely you know mm -hmm. with our healthcare colleagues really it comes down to that having that compassion for human life I'm not um, sure I'm, I'm, I always wonder is it really different I mean the, from the rest of society because I mean mental illness is not something that America does very well. Mm -hmm. That's true. Right. <laughs> and, of course not. Deals yeah. with or, very well. or, you know, at 50%, I mean, maybe we're doing it maybe really well. <laughs> <laughs> we are awesome. At it. <laughs> but, um, but it's a particularly, a, maybe a particularly a problem for 
physicians because, first of all, they are physicians. They're supposed to be, right. you know, treating people right. with mental illness. They're supposed to be able to recognize illnesses in general. Mm-hmm. Um, they're supposed to be able to, but th- at the same time, th- the pressures are so great in medicine, and you know, just like in the general population, there's a there's a stigma against mental illness, and mm-hmm. it just becomes more. The problem becomes more concentrated in mm. medicine. I wonder. Well, here's the, yeah. here's the thing. Um, you know, actually, physicians are pioneers in getting their their patients to understand that mental illness is an illness, much like anything else. Mm. Yeah. You know, we're advocating for them, but unfortunately, there's sort of a double standard when it comes to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I get it. You know, paradigm shifts they take a long time. Um, you know. Just 50 years ago, we had separate bathrooms, right? For and people I mean, of color. I, th- I mean, you know, these things take time. And yeah. I think a lot of it is, you know, we've for years and years now in medicine, we've practiced this dualistic approach where the mind is a separate entity than the body, mm-hmm. um, which I think has caused a lot of kind of misunderstandings or lack of understandings of like, what is the mind? What does the mind do? And when you have that kind of like lack of understanding in our societies, the instinct is to just kind of like sweep it under the rug and say, okay, like we'll kind of do what we can to manage it, but we're not really gonna, you know, treat it or cure it. Um, But I think right now we're kind of in that phase with the technology age where a lot is becoming recognized about the mind. There's a lot of studies that are being done both in the organic level as well as, you know, the intangible behavioral levels. Um, And this idea of the mind and the body being two separate entities is really starting to dissolve. Um, You know, there's a lot of studies out there that even, you know, like we were talking about Mm -hmm. the, the microbiome and the vagal nerve connection to the mind. Even, you know, they're very simple connections that are strongly being recognized right now, but they're really important. Um, and so I think that's kind of what we're also seeing. We're at that like very beginning stages of kind of putting everything together and then still, you know, the mind is still the last frontier kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a lot to learn. Um, so I think we're going to be seeing in our definitely practicing lifetimes mm-hmm. um, some pretty drastic changes in terms of what happens with mental health, mental illness, um, mm-hmm. just the, you know, physiology of the mind. Um, yeah, so it's kind of exciting. Yeah, um, and I think some of that too is that we're able to communicate about it a little better now. Right. I think the people that are being selected to enter the medical profession are a little bit more open people. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure, There's a uh, now maybe than like fifty years ago. Um, and also, I think you know part of it's the internet, and and you can just get information mm-hmm. more easily. You can get your own information out there. You can read about other people's experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple of, of physicians, um, Pamela Wimble comes mm-hmm. to mind, yeah. uh, who have started doing a lot of writing yep. about mental illness and suicide in physicians. Yep. And, you know, having that information out there is kind of what we want to contribute mm-hmm. to, to pushing the conversation forward because you can't fix something if no one knows it's a problem. If everyone thinks that they're the only one that feels like this, it's an individual problem. It's a weakness. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's a systemic problem... It's a lot easier for people to think of it as a disease and as something that can be worked out. And I guess I would like to note also that like burnout's a huge problem and like wellness management and stuff, but it's it can lead to mental illness, but it's also kind of its own thing. Own thing right. Um so that's something we want to focus on with NAMI is that like like full blown mental illness you can have and still be a doctor and still 
be a, a functional member of society. I mean, it's so, just like controlling your diabetes. Yeah. You know, you have diabetes, you take your insulin, you take your meds, whatever it is, and you still go on with your life. And if you don't, then it's going to get worse. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so I want to go back to the idea that um, burnout is different. Can you... Or, Am I interpreting what you said right? What like what do you what do you mean by that? Can you expand on that a little bit? Um yeah, so burnout is sort of it, it it's a really important phenomenon that's also underrecognized in medicine and it's sort of when people can't get any satisfaction from their job anymore. They're just going through the motions. Um usually because, you know, maybe they've just had to do like so much paperwork, they never see their patients, um and they're just sick of what they're doing. You know, but if they get out of that situation, then they can recover. Um, it's just like an pretty, overloading pretty of the mind. Yeah, right. I mean, you just I, like I actually have like a definition that I use for burnout when I talk to students about how they can be aware and hopefully help themselves. Mm-hmm. I talk about burnout as the as the inability to make yourself available right. to the world yeah. or to yourself or to yourself or any any number of things. And and I think burnout can come from I mean comorbidities sure. of, mm-hmm. of any number of things. The the problem being like burnouts burnout is looked at as a negative. Mm. Yeah. Right? Where oh you're burned out. You know, you need to go take some time away. You need to whatever. Go do yoga. It's a failure yoga. of right, some right. kind, right? right? Right. And meanwhile, I think the same the same thing holds true for for mental illness. Like mental illness, just like substance abuse and many other things, is looked at subconsciously in our society as a failure of right. some kind. Mm-hmm. Even the phrase "mental illness," I mean, right? It's it's imperfect in the sense that having a cold is an illness but you can go to work and like get through your day if you have a cold mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. however if you have a mental illness the real problem is if you're dealing with people who haven't had that same experience and don't know what that is really like mm-hmm. they can't have the same level of empathy mm-hmm. that they might be able to have with for a, for Absolutely. a patient or a colleague mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. is suffering from a brain tumor suffering from mm-hmm. some some physical injury mm-hmm. i mean you know if you if you've got cancer there's treatments that are shown to have physical outcomes that lead to cure mm-hmm. meanwhile mental illness is something that as you said is it's it's one of the great unknown things mm, it's like super taboo right. mm-hmm. yeah but at the same time like just tangibly not understood very well yeah. either yeah. a lot yeah. of people deal with their mental illness for years mm-hmm. not recognizing that it is a mental mm-hmm. illness and using other means of treatment mm-hmm. that yep. such as substances yeah right. self-medication yeah and, and so by the time you show up in in a physician's office you're re- you're immediate problem is i'm an alcoholic i'm mm-hmm. a drug i'm i'm addicted to drugs i'm i'm this i'm that mm-hmm. you know and the the stuff that's underneath those layers yep. is the core problem yep yeah but yep. it takes years to yep. get to that problem absolutely yeah, yeah. i mean i well, so i've had that experience personally mm-hmm. where if i had if if there was some way that i could say at some point in my past that this is anxiety depression Right. And if I deal with this anxiety and depression in some way that is above above board and, you know, part of 
my daily checkup or yearly checkup and and that kind of thing, then maybe I don't have the other problems that I had for years mm-hmm. down the road. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, and maybe you're right that there will be a new generation with new awareness that will help people not get to that point. But I think self-medication often masks the mm-hmm. symptoms until mm-hmm. they become so acute. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, that's why you preventative care is pr- primary care is that's why it's so important, right. you know, it's and I think a lot of people primary care. It's like education of masses is really what it comes down right. to. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. You know? I mean, public health. I mean, the, right. Dissemination of information and, you know, getting people to help get or, you know, seek help earlier. I think that's important. Right. But the failure that I'm seeing in, in the clinics is that some physicians don't really understand that. Actually, a lot of physicians don't. Yeah. Um, and so and I think it, it could be picked up on, but it's often not. And it's really unfortunate. I mean, it's nobody's fault. It's just that it's where we're at right now. Um, and as a, for well, me, as a patient, I'm, I'm like... It's some people's fault. <laughs> <laughs> as, as a patient going in and talking to... As a patient going in and talking to my primary care physician, I mean, it's been now several years of like trial and error. Like, mm-hmm. I still feel like crap. I'm still losing my mind. Right. Like, wh- what what can I possibly do here? Right. And there's, it's just a, it's almost like guesswork. It's like, okay, yeah. well, that's not working. We'll try this. Try more of that. Try less of that. Try, you know, three of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> I feel like so much of this also comes down to, like, in a, I mean, this is like something we always talk about, right? Like 15-minute appointments, right? Yeah. Um, but it really is true. When you're talking about someone's thoughts that are causing a certain kind of effect, you're talking about hours, right? Like hours of like picking apart, understanding, connecting, disconnecting. Um, and so if if that's not done, then there's not a true understanding. And then you can throw all the SSRIs you want at it, you can throw all the lifestyle modifications at it, whatever. It's just, you know, it's hard to find that kind of. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I mean, like this is really, an appropriate approach to mental illness it comes from a complete societal paradigm shift Mm -hmm. you know where you have more resources you have more education you have i mean it's it's a complete system so then i get really i'm like ah that's never gonna happen (laughs) but society's um, big and complicated and stuff but this is why i think we're like here trying to like start it at at the very, you know, micro level, you mm-hmm. know, just like raising awareness kind of one person at a time, one physician at a time, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, because otherwise, I mean, either we're doing something or we're not doing yeah. something, you know, there's no in between. Um, but I think a lot of times, too, like when I go to my PCP, literally, it's like the approach is like, well, you're a med student, you kind of know if something is wrong with you, like, let me know, is there anything I need to do? Right. And then he's out of there, you know? Right. Um, and with people who aren't in medicine, they're probably maybe a little bit more like inquisitive or whatever, but it's just kind of, we're all going through the motions of the algorithm that's been handed down to us. Mm-hmm. So I want to go. Know? I want to go back to a point that um, Dave made earlier, um, or I, maybe it was Dave. It's probably about, the first time that's ever happened. Oh, <laughs> whoa! Just You're very welcome. <laughs> about you know, um, and something that Zainab actually alluded to as well is 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 the the complexity of the mind, and you can't see. And if someone has a mental illness, it's and if you've never had it before yourself, it's you don't know what it's like at all. So the closest thing that we have to being able to experience is 
by listening to other people's experiences. Mm. And this is a huge thing that, you know, we want to accomplish as, um, you know, NAMI at CECOM. Um, we want um, physicians and residents and whoever to come forward mm. and talk about their own struggles. Mm -hmm. um, because right now, for many students, there is no light at the end of the tunnel because no one is really coming forward to talk about, you know, what, you know, I, you know, was hospitalized or, you know, I had to take SSRIs mm -hmm. um, at the physician level. Mm -hmm. So it kind of seems like, well, there aren't any physicians who are talking about this. Therefore, that means that there are no, no depressed or, you right. know, or no anxious or like, yeah. So why I just I have to one? kind of swallow yeah. it and be okay with it. And it's a character flaw. When probably yeah. the more logical con conclusion is that, yes, there is nobody who can come forward and say, I was hospitalized. I took SSRIs because they didn't because it wasn't seen as something that they should admit to. Either in the that first or place. they're just... They're or they're being quiet. The, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's so many physicians who are on all sorts of things, but oh, they sure. just, I mean, physicians by nature are very good compensators. We yeah. compensate very well when there is to like a, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, you know, like probably compared to the general population, we're a little bit better at hiding things for longer. Actually, I mean, research shows that that's, that's mm -hmm. the case. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're not, I mean, man, you know, go spend a day in the hospital in the wards, you see how unhappy so many physicians are. Yeah. We have had, you know, some really amazing people come forward and tell yep. their stories. And we're trying to get more. We're having an event in September with a panel of three people. Yep. We're having a PA, stu uh, I'm sorry, um, a PA who was actually a medical student mm -hmm. um, first at CECOM and transitioned to becoming a PA. And he's going to tell a story Physician about assistant. that. Exactly. Sorry. Physician <laughs> assistant. Um, and then we also have a resident who would be talking about his own struggles with, um, you know, mood disorder, quote unquote, um, <laughs> and um, a staff physician who will be speaking as well. So we do have people popping up. And uh, shout out to Dr. Algerdi who like totally rocked the mic. Totally. Last yeah. Time. Yep. He gave a great, great talk and people really responded to yeah, it. Yeah, that's, so. that's who I was referring yeah. to. Yeah. 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 That was our very first meeting. Yeah. Um, one, of the, one of the Skiller. fellows. <laughs> one of the fellows stepped up uh, and and told the story of just the like just the struggles that he's encountered, you know, trying to get through medical school and into fellowship. Um, yeah. And it was people loved it. We actually had a much better turnout than we expected. He was a funny guy too, and he was really funny. <laughs> he's one of those people that he's one of those people that clearly uses humor. Yeah. To, to you know, get through sure. the day. Oh yeah, and, yeah. and he does it well too. Yeah. I can't know. relate I to think, that. I at think all. he made a really good point um, before he's talk. He definitely, you know, um, he prefaced it by saying, you know, I've never been diagnosed with a mental illness before, you know, mm -hmm. but I have definitely had the Siggy caps. Right. I've had, you know, I've had the symptoms. I just wasn't diagnosed with yep. it. Mm -hmm. So you know, mental illness is not necessarily just being diagnosed you know by a physician it's right. it's this having the symptoms is you know part of just having the mood disorder yeah siggy it's, caps ah what was that go for it sleep interest guilt energy, energy <laughs> concentration attention uh psychomotor re retardation or agitation and suicidality nice yeah. Well done. Wow. That's all the that's Very sort of the the, the mnemonic for like the screening for depression specifically. And there's like a slightly dig fast is the one for, uh, for anxiety. generalized anxiety. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, so, so what are the what are the things that Nami 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 that's, Nami. that's my uh, Brooklyn mom's influence Nami, coming Nami. out. Nami. No. <laughs> Shut up. 
What are the things that Nami in 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 at CCOM are doing? I mean, you mentioned the September event, sure. Um, but what are you developing partnerships with um, other? Folks yeah, on so campus? we can actually talk about that um, sort of in general because mm-hmm. it's not something that's necessarily been set in stone yet and we haven't pitched our idea yet but one of our big visions um, at, as NAMI the reason why you know a lot of us came together to start this group is that you know uh, f- from my own personal experience and I think a lot of other people can attest to this as well is that there's nothing more healing I mean obviously you need everything you know I you know I need medication I need counseling I need all that stuff but one of the biggest things for me was connecting with other people who have been through similar experiences and hearing from them like oh my gosh me too you know mm-hmm. uh, and knowing that I'm not like a, a freak of some sort mm-hmm. you know so we, we I, I, I do see the utility like the high utility of um, being in a support group yep. and being able to talk and as yep. Dr. Brene Brown um, she's a very you know well-established shame researcher which is an interesting topic shame researcher yeah. um, and you know she she has found that the best way to combat shame is to actually be able to tell your story and have that be met with compassion and understanding by someone else. Um, so, you know, it's like if you don't talk about it, it just bottles up and it gets worse and worse. And if you actually just let it out, and especially with, you know, if it's met with, you know, yeah, I get it. You I know, I'm too. with you. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you on yeah. that. Like that, you that you that just takes all the power out of the shame. Mm-hmm. You know, and so again, that just goes back to the empowerment. Um, having having a you know sense of um, ownership of your illness, almost. You yeah. know, not letting it run your life, but you live with it and you you control it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and guilt and shame is part of depression just like intrinsically part of it absolutely it's not like we need society like piling on more like we yeah. get it we already feel like we suck mm-hmm. g is guilt <laughs> g is for guilt the thing that's interesting to me about it all is that i mean i think you're right i think we in generations past we had societal constructs that helped us come together and have that sort of that sort of repartee where mm. we can we can absolve ourselves of our sins, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. However, that's not as intrinsically strong a part of our culture anymore, right. and and so all of this to me comes down to storytelling. Mm. Absolutely, mm-hmm. you know, amen. Yep. So, like, if you go to an AA meeting, mm. the most people who haven't been or don't haven't experienced any kind of support group like that don't understand that it's like you don't go there in order to get healed so when people say like well statistically it doesn't work people relapse it's it's the communion Mm -hmm. that you experience being able to tell your story hear other people's stories and know that they have been where you are and that you can that you can feel safe Mm. and heard Right, mm-hmm. you know, and absolutely, but that's not something that our culture does very well. Mm-mm. And part of the reason why medicine is one of the real, one of the real focus points where it's there's a lot of friction is that we need to have the illusion of control. Mm-hmm. And doctors are supposed to be in control. They're supposed to know their. They're supposed to know their shit. Jason, we have an E rating. It's fine. Yeah, they're supposed to to know their shit. They're supposed to be able to show up like like a machine and dole the stuff out, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So as soon as you find that there's a problem with the machine, then 
what? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Why am I coming to you? I mean, you're up like me. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and that will edit out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what I mean? It's it's yeah. like we have to have these illusions of of control. We have to have these systems in place where we feel like we can we can trust something as more than another human being mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. once once you get past the, the point where it's like well you're another human being and you're, you're the venue of the physician's office is not the venue for that communion mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. sharing that helps people break down those barriers mm-hmm. and start to heal because you are kind of there to you're there for the patient you know in any given situation it doesn't most of the time doesn't make a lot of sense to talk about yourself or your own story um and that can i think confound people's perceptions pretty greatly of what a doctor actually is that's that's really a shame though because um i've actually met a lot of people and including myself um who have met with therapists or doctors who are very forthcoming about their own struggles Mm -hmm. and honestly i think it's it's getting it's getting more common it honestly the connection there and knowing like you know, this person is incredibly smart. Mm-hmm. You know, this person is my physician, but they're also a human being too. So yeah. they, they really yep. actually do understand. You know, it's not them right. looking down at me yep. in, in the well and mm-hmm. saying, here, I'm going to offer you a hand and pull you up. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm going to go in that well with you. We'll be mm-hmm. in that well and mm-hmm. we'll get out together. Well, and, and the thing is, like, think about a lot of patient satisfaction complaints. My doctor doesn't understand me. My doctor doesn't listen to me. My doctor, you know, I don't have, mm-hmm. I don't I have a connection a with my, you know. <laughs> so, so these, these are standard complaints about the physician-patient interaction. And again, like, okay, so I'm a writer and I believe in the power of stories. If, if a doctor said to me, you know what, I've had a similar experience where this is what happened to me and these are some things that I tried and we'll start here and we'll go there and we'll see how we... I mean, even just saying that gives me more trust yeah, absolutely. than the illusion that the white coat provides. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is like there's a very... You know, people think that like, oh, if you're not like this robotic, all perfect, you know doctor that then your patients aren't going to respect you that's crap or that or that your back does anything to do i don't think that it should have anything to do with your white coat you're either a respectable person or you're not and so if you're a respectable person all that white coat adds is like hey i've spent all this time gaining all this knowledge so here's like my toolkit that i'm offering to you like how are we going to use it Mm -hmm. you know it's not like you just you were something and then now all of a sudden you've become like something so much more because you have this white coat even though that is like the general understanding right. so you the, know in our cultures so the thing i was thinking about when you said that though is that you know it shouldn't matter but i think for some patients it will it well, you'll, oh, you'll always have you know absolutely. different kinds of patients yeah. right. just like there are it's different gonna. kinds of but physicians so what i was going to say is that's not really a problem no you know because right. if that patient really does have a problem of course they're wrong but <laughs> but that patient can go go and to another physician to another who's going to give them right, that right. it's the yeah. same as if you saw a physician that your personality just didn't gel yep, with absolutely. in let that me, case you're encouraged yep. to you know look for somebody that you can work yep. with yeah. let me ask you guys a question um, what's easier being vulnerable or not being vulnerable 
Depends I'm, on what uh, angle you're looking at that I'm, from. I'm just an open book. Like, well, I Casey, have a lot I think of you, trouble. I think you're, I'm weird. I think so you're I kind of on the fringe there. I think we kind of all are in that respect. But, you know, yeah. people often find that being vulnerable is much harder than yeah. to kind of cover it up and just pretend like everything's okay. So it kind of, it, it's counterintuitive to think that if you're being vulnerable, then you're showing weakness because, in fact, it's right? actually harder to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is very true. And mm-hmm. a lot of people do see that. And there are people who don't. And that's fine. They can go see a robot. That's mm-hmm. fine. And you know what? I would say, you know, just from my personal experience, part of the reason that I am so try to approach the world in a really vulnerable way is because I'm a lot happier just being myself. I like myself. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like myself. And I didn't used to for a long, long, long time. I really just hated myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some a lot of that was the, the depression. There was not really any good reason for it. But being more open just about everything and being more honest has made life so much easier because if you accept yourself it doesn't matter as much how other people feel about it and mm-hmm. if you accept yourself they're gonna feel better about you mm-hmm. um, yeah. like I've gotten you know I hear people worry about all this pushback and stuff about various things and I'm like I've hardly gotten any pushback at least to my face uh, oh yeah same I mean you know relatively speaking but I, I think it's because if you if you walk out guns blazing people aren't gonna aren't gonna fight you as much if you show them doubt then I don't know like people really latch on to doubt mm-hmm. and it makes them doubt too mm. the the thing that's been interesting for me because I I got to a point where I had to be like more open about I, I've always been relatively open about how I feel, what I do, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I also got, was in a situation where I was I was running for office, leading in public life, and not afraid to talk about the fact that I struggled with alcohol, not afraid to talk about a lot of these really difficult issues because we need leaders who mm. are willing mm-hmm. to say, Absolutely. this is a thing, we have to approach it. I have a personal story that I'm going to share yep. with you that's going to hopefully make the connection. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had that come back in my face. I've had people try and, try right. and use yeah. it, try and use it against me in, right. in the most despicable ways that mm-hmm. you could possibly think of. You have to expect that, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's part of the deal. But a lot of people, you know, they they're sold one thing. Mm. You know, we sell a certain kind of life. You know, from mm-hmm. day one, you're watching television, you're seeing media, you're getting all this stuff, and you're being sold a certain thing. The reality is. It's something entirely different. Of course. Mm-hmm. And so when people are sort of met met with that that sort of mm, paradox yeah. of like, oh, well, my life is this, but it's supposed to be this. I think that's that's where a lot of people start to Sensibly. try and hold on to that illusion of control. That's mm-hmm. why it's just kind of like you don't talk if you don't talk about it, it doesn't exist, which right. actually isn't true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you don't talk about it, it's still there. You just aren't talking about it. Yeah, that's super relevant. <laughs> well, to and like, also it gets stronger and stronger because like any emotion or energy that's not unleashed just kind of like brews and grows and mm-hmm. grows and grows, you know? Yeah, like older generations, you know, to anybody who's listening to this and is like, well, all this mental illness stuff is is new. It's all you millennials. <laughs> um, that's, that's my old person imitation. Back in the old days, we weren't crazy like <laughs> we you were. We didn't have no depression. Well, yeah, you did. You, you just did. Are, they, are, are they also Southern? Is that? I guess. <laughs> I don't do accents so great. Uh, but like, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, people would go to institutions and it was, it was so hush hush. It was it was whispered like oh they had to send their kid to the, the place up you know in the country yep. whatever you know like 
it's not that it never happened. It's that no one talked about it because the shame was even higher than it is now. And um, absolutely, it's not a new problem. This is no ancient. So this past semester, uh, with my fourth year class, we read The Bell Jar. Love that book. Which lots of heads I, you, in the oven. Is that what happened? No, no, no. <laughs> Honestly, like that was one of the best, the best books. I have ever read, uh, especially regarding mental illness. A lot of people say it's sort of like Catcher in the Rye for girls, but mm, that's, that's better than like, Catcher in the Rye. Oh no, it, it absolutely <laughs> is. It absolutely is because what what you get to see is that sort of weird transition between like what you think the world is supposed to be and what you think you're supposed to be in it, and then the the realization that you you aren't that and you can't be and you slowly lose control over things and it's not it's not definable and again that like it brings me back to like using terms like mood disorders it's Mm -hmm. like because mood is one of those things like oh you know so and so is moody it's right it's, you know it's got a negative connotation it's, got, it's it's one of those words that medicine means in a certain way mm. probably oh, oh, but like, the rest of us don't thank you so much for this interesting consult right <laughs> <laughs> why did you send them to me <laughs> you know and and again like the, like i said about illness it's just one of those things where the terms are not adequate yeah right, right. Well, we're working the on understanding that. is not adequate yeah and like they're, and they're just, loaded with yeah. all this all this stigma like antiquated and, yep. stigma and meaning and i yeah. think some people miss the jump between you know i feel depressed on a day versus i, I am have de- right. depression right. i am a depressed person or whatever it's not the same thing yeah I, right. I think it needs to be said because i i think a lot of people think it's the same thing yeah it's super not. It's like whatever your worst day is, you feel like that every day, all the time, and probably worse. And for it's like hard. two weeks, a month, years even. Years. Yeah. And it's hard for you as the person who's experiencing it to really like step Ex- far enough outside of yourself to like look at what's happening. And that's the, vi- but th- that's exactly the definition of it being an illness, yeah. right? Like you can't, you are unable to extract yourself from. Right. Even though intellectually, you know, but that, fe- that, that guttural feeling, that visceral feeling that you get from this illness, it's it's really hard to separate yourself. Yeah, there are there are literally still times when, uh, like, I have tons of, of friends and people that I hang out with, and there are still times when I'm with a group of people that I've known for years, and they wouldn't be hanging out with me, and my brain just will flip into this mode where it goes, everyone in this room thinks you're super annoying and wants you to go away. Right. And you can't, no amount of reassurance can can pull you out of that sort of in in that moment because your brain is just going to tell you well they're lying because they feel so bad for you because you're so pathetic yeah well, i mean one of the things that goes along with a lot of My these brain illness- is an asshole yes <laughs> such an asshole well, one of the things that goes along with a lot of these illness i learned long ago is is you know sort of disorders of thought mm-hmm. you know where y- you have to actually expend a lot of energy mentally to understand what's going on and how it's affecting the way that you are thinking about yourself and about the people around you and about the circumstances that you're in and all that kind of stuff. And that's, you know, your brain is is, well, is basically telling you the wrong things sometimes. Well, and it's hard why, to recognize that. That's you know? why I want to go back brain. to what Zainab said, you know, about how the mind and the body are not, it's 
mood disorders, I'm, I'm air quoting for all those who can't see, um, mood disorders, you know, it's not just about your thoughts. It's not just about um, the chemicals, you know, um, the running through, you know, running through your system. It's not just the environment that you grew up in or are currently in. It's not the life stressors. It's it's everything combined. And that's why it's hard. It's hard to put like an actual name on it because mm-hmm. it's not just a thought or a mood. It's mm-hmm. everything. And it, even things that you eat. Mm-hmm. You know, um, inflammation, like high inflammation is thought to be like a huge contributor to like depression. Mm-hmm. So if you eat a lot of crap that, you know, makes your body so that it's inflamed all the time, it's going to exacerbate the depression. Mm-hmm. So it's like a lot of different things. And for a lot of people, they've been dealing with this for so long that there is actually like structural pathways that have been formed right. in their brains. Neurons that fire and together, you wire have, together. And when you have structural pathways that you've you've gotten accustomed to using that's the default pathway that you're so it takes like rewiring and rewiring takes practice Mm -hmm. it literally takes this like observe ability to observe your own mind and push it to open up different pathways that it Mm. can use alternatively i so my wife and i have been foster parents and we adopted a, a, a teenage boy uh he lived with us for several years he had so much trauma right. growing up right. and mm-hmm. developed so many coping mechanisms and, mm-hmm. and ways of handling his situation that as he got older and his body started to change, like he literally could not, you mm-hmm. know, you look at him on the surface, anybody would see his behavior and be like, that is mm-hmm. a, a messed up kid. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's acting out physically Mm -hmm. he's doing all these things that are not not supposed to be done that's not cool he's not a good kid Mm -hmm. however when you start to dig back Mm -hmm. and you start to see like all these different things that he does and how they have sort of like comorbidities with one Mm -hmm. another and how they interact with one another it you realize that he is not in control right absolutely Uh, and that's very very yep like he can he can intellectually and you can intellectually say this is the way you want to behave but Mm -hmm. in the in the treatments that he's gone through like right now he's in a place where he he's gone through this treatment where he's tried he tries to identify and understand his thinking errors Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and i think I think that that's what casey was talking about i mean i i generally think that everybody hates my guts Um, i don't I like you. Yay. <laughs> well, thank but you. But see, you I can say it. that. Very, yeah. yeah. It's a very... But, but and his, thing, his brain, his brain is no, just going to... No, exactly. Gonna, yeah. I just want to tell you, though, you know. It's true. We like you, Jason. I appreciate that. But part of the way that I've started to deal with it is, A, I'm, I'm going to therapy and trying to understand my, my way of thinking about that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But I've also developed a healthy amount of F you. I'm doing my thing, <laughs> you know, and and so I think both those things are coping are coping mechanisms and skills that I've built along the way mm-hmm. uh, that have helped me. Now, are they healthy? Are they good? Are they right? I I mean, those do any, they always work? I mean, any port in right. a storm <laughs> at, a, at a certain point at a certain point, right? Yeah. Um, but I hate the fact that I that I go through those moments where I feel like everyone hates me. The way that I used to get past that, the way that I used to feel like I was part of a, a social group and liked by people, was drinking. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That was the way that I, I allowed myself to be in a situation where I interacted with other people and mm-hmm. my inhibitions came down and 
Like that's been the hardest thing for me since mm. I stopped drinking is mm-hmm. being able to say, I can go into this situation and feel comfortable and confident. Mm-hmm. It's a very want, social activity. Yeah. And I, I want to kind of go back because we've been talking a lot about how difficult mental illness can be. You know, it could be anything. It could be addiction. It could be um, eating disorders. It could be depression and anxiety. I know a lot of the things that we said, it makes it sound like it's it's impossible to deal with. But the thing is, it's not. It's not. And this is why early help seeking is yep. so important because the, the rewiring, it does take time. It does take effort. Um, and it's not just one thing. It might be um, a, a battery of you know different things. It could be do, going to CBT or getting DBT. You know, um, it could be trying five different kinds of antidepressants. And like you said, not it's not like a one recipe fits all. So for anyone out there who is struggling with this, Seriously, just keep hanging on. Um, keep going. Uh, it sucks to have to like you know figure out that one thing doesn't work and you have to try something new. But you will find something that does work for you. Um, if you have if you if you partner with the right physician, um, you guys work together. Um, it, it's doable. Absolutely doable. And I'd like oh. I'd like to hear from our listeners actually about whether or not they yeah. whether or not they're experiencing these things and what they. You know what they're whether they have plans to do anything about them, what mm. their what their um, circumstances are, and all that kind of thing. You or don't have what to, they think they might like, if they have any ideas of what right. they think might be helpful right. for implementation. Yeah, I mean, you you know, so you can always call us at three four seven short CT. You can email us at the shortcodes at gmail You don't have to leave your name or anything like that. That's totally mm. totally fine. Um, but uh, I think it'd be interesting to hear from you guys and and also about what you what you think about what these guys are saying. The reason why this is such a long and like, you know, energy requiring process is because like at the, at the basic, you know, organism level, you're talking about like the difference between the limbic system and the cortex, right? So like your limbic system is the system that's involved in these very like primal, addictive, you know, emotionally ridden, um, behavior patterns versus your cortex is kind of like your logical I've thought this through and this is what I've decided this is why but obviously that one is harder to use I mean you just have to like constantly use it practice it open up those pathways versus your limbic system is like your reactionary you know like this is what happened to me this is how I reacted to it so this is my default so that's why it takes a lot of um, actually in inflammation research too this is shown um, where like your your gut connection to your brain the inflammation that's in the gut primarily affects the limbic system of the brain. That's why people who have higher level of inflammation, you know, might be struggling with depression symptoms, anxiety, um, anger outbursts, and all of these things, because that's what those regions um, work on. So that's why this takes a lot of work, like recognizing kind of your own struggles and then trying to tease out, okay, what is my response going to be to mm-hmm. kind of open up these other ways of dealing with these. Right. And it's right. like no. some people can beat it and some people learn to live with it. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's a big part of our goal is like telling these stories. That you can live with that it. You can yeah, live and with you can it. become amazing. I mean, like when I was um, rotating with Impact, some of these people have been battling mental illness for 20, 30 years. And Impact? they're fun- um, Let's see, integrated multidisciplinary um 
psychiatric assertive community treatment. She's real good with the algorithms. Apparently. Um, I think I, the impact part of it, I always forget. But ACT Acronyms. is like the known Acronyms. kind of um, nationwide <laughs> program. Algorithm, whatever. Um, which is like assertive community treatment of people primarily suffering from um, schizophrenia and bipolar to... Um, to, to kind of maintain and, and live a functional lifestyle with their mental illness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this is, I mean, there's all sorts of different models, you know, all around the country. So it's not, it's not impossible at all. I mean, this is, it, it just takes a lot of recognition and, you know, work of treatment um, and education. Because so mm-hmm. much of mental illness really right now is like, we don't really understand it and we're still scared of it. And we're just like, ah, what do we do with it? You know, like mm-hmm. just... So, but speaking of that fear, I just kind of I think this is a really important point. Um, a lot of people have a lot of fear about people who have mental illness right. yes. because of you know certain things that they see on the news. You know, certain. Mm-hmm. The thing is, most of these people are untreated, mm-hmm. so we're we have fear of untreated people with mental illness. The thing is, we don't hear stories about people who've been treated. Right. That's a completely and different very ball game. Functional, absolutely. Yeah. Community and, members. And even most people who are untreated are much more likely to hurt themselves than to hurt someone, someone else. else right. We hear right. about, right. you know, the, the, unusual the worst, the weirdest right. outcomes. Yeah, I mean, oftentimes you hear like, well, so-and-so went off their medication. And I, it's, and it's it's reductive. Right. Yeah. Very. And that's but that's that's what they deal in. They, they you know, the media deals in reduction. Yep. Mm-hmm. So they they boil it down to the simplest so thing what they that, can sell that <laughs> they can sell that can be understood on at least some basic level by the most people. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. the the actual story is so much more nuanced. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, right. I, there, you know, again, like I look at my anxiety, depression as and my my challenges with addiction as basically aspects of the same illness absolutely yeah you know and i know i I know as an addict that i will never not be an addict Mm -hmm. and that goes back to what you were saying is is the idea that you have to learn to live with that and know Mm -hmm. yourself and recognize your behaviors and your triggers and and try and just a work toward getting better at recognizing and dealing with and and doing the things that you know are going to be good for you in not the way society says good mm-hmm. but in the way whatever like, that means yeah but, <laughs> but the person you want to be right. the, the yeah. husband father mother daughter whoever you want to be for the people that you love mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and i think i think it's really important for people to understand that even on your worst, darkest days, those are the days where you have to try and find the strength to say, I love myself enough to try and find help. Mm. Um, which is an incredibly difficult thing to do. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does take effort, you know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes yeah, you have it to take a lot it. of effort. Sometimes you have to go, I don't feel like I love myself right now. I don't feel like I deserve love, but maybe someone else cares about me or maybe I just have to tough it out until I can feel that love again. 
Or you can go to a support group where people can love you until you can Whoa. love yourself again. What? No. No. What? More. <laughs> <laughs> I could, totally forgot to finish up um, that that sentiment. Yeah, that tell them what we're, we're doing. working. We're working with. Um, <laughs> this is funny that I'm going to say it. Uh, the Mood Disorders Clinic mm-hmm. <laughs> um, at UIHC, <laughs> UIHC. We're currently working on a proposal to get um, you know uh, a support group going for medical students, and hopefully, you know, we're going to be track. You know. The, the proposal um, has in it that we're going to be tracking, you know, the results and seeing it, you know, it, how it's, you know, if it is, um, the utility is there, if it's, you know, if it's going to work or not. Hopefully if it does, um, and I have no doubt that it will, mm-hmm. um, we want to extend this out to, you know, uh, on the resident level, on the physician level, um, to everyone, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I'm actually doing a different, totally unrelated project for the humanities program that, um, is collecting stories of physicians and medical students who have had experiences with pretty significant mental illness or suicidal ideation or attempts. Um, collecting participants has been absolute hell, but uh, finally actually have some. Um, yeah, and uh, it's yeah, the results that I've gotten are really really good. So I was just you want to share some asking of if I could share some of them with yeah. you guys because they're very interesting. What do I want to start with? Um, so the two, like, I've had two really bad episodes in my life, and they were both during residency, both around the same time of year, and both during, like, stretches of the hardest rotations we had to do. And so, I, I don't know, I mean, I kind of always thought about it myself as being a seasonal thing. I'm just vulnerable in the winter for some reason, and I don't know what it was about those rotations. I don't know if it's the loss of control in my life and the loss of doing all the things I really like. You know, you're busy, you work, and you sleep, and you have time for, like, one thing at night, you know? So those were pretty dark times. Uh, The first thing that I noticed was terminal insomnia. I'd start waking up at 3 in the morning, and that was just it. I was just up at that time. I don't remember if I lost weight, but my appetite changed. I had no energy. I was always yawning. I was always tired. I didn't do anything. I, I don't know if it was because I didn't have time or didn't have interest. I mean, I did my work. I was at work all the time. I just don't know how much that stuff played into becoming depressed. During both those episodes, I thought about suicide. Like, I didn't have a plan, but I thought about it. I'd been on rotations, I'd seen plenty of failed attempts, and they're bad. And I saw what happens if you go to the ER and tell someone you're suicidal. They strip your liberty, right? So I didn't believe it, but I had the thought that this was probably going to get better. But, But just in case, I gotta have a way out. Um, so that was, mm. I thought that was a pretty compelling one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's nice cause that person did get better. That person is a physician and an extremely successful physician, um, who does super awesome work. And it's just, even now they, they don't feel like they could, they were like uncomfortable during the interview, even just, they wanted to talk about it, but it's just such a hard thing to talk about. Mm. Um, I highlight it. I don't know if you guys want to like read one of the other ones. Well, let's hear another maybe, one. Or Go ahead. You want me to do it? Okay. Um, so this is a different person. For me, adjustments, transitions tend to be a very big issue. As you can imagine, third year is chock full of them and they're huge. They sort of throw you in opposite directions one week after another. And there was this one evening where I just had this really intense desire the very potent sense that I really, in fact, didn't want to be alive anymore. 
I think, you know, there was just enough sort of reflexive human survival instinct that, that was able to push me forward from one minute to the next and that will to live overpowered it. But I think I'm very fortunate because I found the right people for me and I found them fairly quickly. The therapist I see now I've seen for almost 10 years and I found her almost off the cuff very quickly into dealing with my serious emotional issues. But when you're actually in the fray, the availability of mental health care varies from maybe slightly better than we have it at the School of Medicine to unbelievably, unimaginably worse in the sense that it is actively held against you. If the expected outcome when you tell someone I'm feeling suicidal, I'm having a hard time dealing with my drug use, I'm having a hard time dealing with the thoughts, is that you would definitely be penalized. You would be suspended from your job, you'd be fired or some other thing. You know, any kind of thing, right? Because of the position I've in, I've sort of forced myself into the open. I've taken the risk up front and sort of turned on the magic flashlight that tells me who's valuable and who's not in terms of that safety net. But it's a very real risk. I can imagine a certain way this is not unlike what coming out for some people would be like. Um, There's a huge risk that people will reject you and tell you outright, no, I don't accept that, or you're bad, or that's a bad lifestyle choice, or whatever. Cleanse those thoughts. Whatever that whole genre of identity imperialism is, I imagine, it's it's fairly similar. But I think that experience of the fear that you're going to be rejected, that really shows the culture. Yep. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. That was a really good one. That was a really good one. And um, that one, that's uh, also a practicing physician? Like, uh, yes. Practicing. Yep. yep. They are now, Sweet. They are now in, in practice. Sweet. Um. And then this is, here's another one uh, who's still a student. I will not say of what year, <laughs> although they're, they're also pretty open. A lot of these people are pretty open about it in general, but not all of them. So that's why I'm trying to keep it all anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, this person actually has bipolar disorder. So this is a little different. Um, I cannot say the delivery of the diagnosis was done well. (laughs) I've never felt more alone than I did at that moment. The mood instability, stress from being in the hospital, discomfort from so many people watching me, including several med students in the room, which we're not supposed to do. That is against policy. That's not supposed to happen, but it happened. So there you are. See? Hmm. See why we worry? Um, (laughs) (laughs) You can make policies. Um... Anyway, uh, and sadness and fear from the bad news made me wish someone would have reached out to comfort me. Instead, the doctor told me to stop crying. He insisted everything would be fine because I could still become a doctor and I didn't have schizophrenia. Oh my God. (laughs) He even joked about having to, how having to go to the opera with his wife was a real reason to cry. While he may have been trying to lighten the mood, it came across as insensitive and belittling. And when I struggle with medication (laughs) issues, I know, I know. Oh, when I struggle with medication issues, enter mood episodes, or concern, have concerns about stigma arise, I think about how he could have handled that situation better and how I plan to go about diagnosing my own patients, reminding them of their strength and that people are there to help them make it through. Because mental illness is hard, but it is manageable. Mm. Yep. This brings to mind something I always, I sometimes say. Some people exist in this world to teach you how not to be. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Especially in yeah. medicine. That's hilarious because it's just outrageous that that was the response. I know. And that's free. that's not like 20 years ago. That was like a couple years ago. And this is a practicing physician, mm-hmm. correct, who have seen, who's, mm-hmm. has seen this many this times. in the hospital. Ah, okay. 
won't I won't say know. which hospital, right. but this was in the hospital that they were at. <laughs> so what a shit. So show. anyway, yeah, but I mean I, I thought those were some really good selections. Thanks so for really, sharing, Casey. Thank you. I'm really, really excited about this project. So uh, if anybody, if any of the listeners, um, unfortunately, I'm not really accepting pre-med submissions just because it's a different situation, not because you guys don't have valuable experiences. Um, but if any uh, med students, physicians, residents want to share your stories, feel free to contact the Shortcoat podcast and Dave can put me in touch with you and it can all be done totally anonymously if you'd like. Definitely. Casey, Zainab, Innie, Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me. And thank you listeners for making us part of your week. If you like what you heard today, I'm begging you to leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews like the one you are going to leave after I said that help us grow the show and feel good about what we're doing. If you don't like what you heard today, let us know. Or if you have a suggestion for something we should talk about or seek our collective wisdom, you can send any of those things to the shortcuts at gmail.com or leave us a message at or leave us a message at 347-SHORT-CT. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and the Writing and Humanities Program. Our executive producer is Jason Lewis. Our opening music is by Dr. Fox, and our closing music is by Argo Fox. Talk to you in one week.